Welcome back to part two of my California general election proposition coverage. This episode, I'm going to talk about Proposition 16 and Proposition 17. Proposition 16 allows diversity as a factor in public employment, education, and contracting decisions. And this is to make it a legislative constitutional amendment. Currently, we have a we have a law, Prop 209, banned race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin in employment, education, and public contracting, outside of a few narrow cases. For instance, prison staffing, where a certain number of women are required as a practical matter. You're allowed to do that. What you're not allowed to do is consider race or sex in college admissions. You're not allowed to have programs to increase the number of women-owned or minority-owned businesses as far as public contracts. So this is a proposition to repeal that, which is to say you may use race, sex, color, ethnicity, or national origin in education, contracting decisions, and employment. So I'm going to spare a lot of the upfront analysis and say right at the start, I'm no on Prop 16. So there's a couple of ways you can look at this. One is the, the arguments that they put forward. The other is the arguments not put forward. So there's, there's arguments not contained in the voter information guide that I'm going to look at as well. That's, that's a thing. It's a thing you need to consider. So here, here's, here's a quote, argument in favor. Today, nearly all public contracts and the jobs that go with them go to large companies run by older white men. White women make 80 cents on the dollar. The wage disparity is even worse for women of color and single moms. As a result, an elite few are able to hoard wealth instead of investing it back into communities. Prop 16 opens up contracting opportunities for women and people of color. A lot to unpack here. First, let me say, suppose that statistic is, is right. First, the, the wage disparity argument is true but misleading. Add up average earnings of men, add up average earnings of women, there's an 80% difference. It's not, uh, not, not 80% difference, there's 20% difference. There's 80% less earnings among women than there is among men. Not necessarily because there's pay disparities in the same job band, but just looked at in the aggregate as a demographic across all jobs. Some of it could be sexism. A lot of it is mostly women take different jobs. So there, I'm, I'm not compelled. But there, there, there seems to be this general, I guess, <laughs> the general argument is that 
Wealth is entrenched to older white men. Let's let's say this is true. I don't know that. I don't know that that's true, but that sounds right. Gosh, a lot of ways to unpack this. Let's start here. I guess the thought is because it's white men that have all of the power, we want to allow the state government to sort of artificially correct for that. So where where state contracts are concerned, state decisions by the state of California are concerned, you can favor women and non-whites. That's, I think, the goal here, is to correct this imbalance. Here's my take on this. I mean, there, there, there could be analyses you could perform to challenge some of those assumptions, but here's where I will meet this argument halfway. I think there's something to the discussion of if you want to look at what's wrong with the system, you want to see who a system actually favors, look to see who succeeds in that system. I think that basic idea has merit. For, for instance, professional athletes, if you're faster, stronger, whatever, whatever qualities that are involved in that, this, it's, it's a system that tends to reward athleticism. Me being comparatively sluggish will not succeed in there. So I, I think there's something to the idea of what's going on is unfair. Let's, let's look at why that might be the case by seeing who has risen to the top. And that is who this system is biased to favor. So first, like with the professional athletes and athleticism argument, it's not necessarily the case that if a system is biased in favor of certain traits, that that's necessarily a bad thing. It just, it just is. What I want to challenge is that the analysis seems to stop at white guys. I say this as a white guy. I know it looks like this is a system that favors white guys. And I'm not going to tell you that there is no more racism, there is no more sexism. But for the most part, this is not a system by and for white guys. I... <laughs> this... this this concept of, of white privilege you, it's it's so I disagree with it because even if you fail even if you're in objectively not good space as a white male you still benefit from white privilege to which I say what does that even look like at that point 
is whatever alleged privilege I have something that matters at that point? If a white guy can be locked out of opportunity? What, what, what relevant privilege is at play here then? My experience, there is no tribal in-group white people preference. Some of you may have other anecdotal experiences that say otherwise. My experience has been otherwise. I'm allowed to give anecdotes, so here we go. White people will shit on white people to get ahead. I, I have actually been in situations, been privy to hiring decisions, where they would prefer not to hire a white guy. And this is white guys making these decisions, because they don't want to look racist. I, I have had people tell me as much. These are powerful white guys saying, you know, white guys, we can't, we, you know, sorry. We gotta, we gotta look and be diverse. Just like, okay. And there's other, there's a whole host of other reasons. Like, I, I, I didn't get a job one time because <laughs> one guy, this was a white guy, implied that because I was a veteran that I would somehow be violent in the workplace. He didn't say that, but you know, people like this never say that. You could get sued for actually saying that. And here's the thing. I know a lot of you people out there you know what I'm talking about. They never quite say it, but they say it. The real problem, and here's where the, the you, you need to increase the power on the microscope. You need to power up the lens that you're looking at the top. Yeah, it might look like white guys. You know who it actually is? People that don't care. We have a system where the people who get ahead are the people who don't care if they step on someone. Capitalism is a vicious system. It doesn't care what, what, what race you are. It doesn't care what gender you are. It only wants more. If you're a white guy, and you're, you're causing problems, they'll get rid of you. Doesn't, doesn't matter if it's run by whites. I, I had this weird thought, like, it, it might even be the case that the least race conscious people are the arch capitalists. The only analysis that needs to be made is what's going to make me money? If that's a white person, fine. If it's not a white person, fine. If it's a man, fine. If it's not a woman, fine. They just want more money. They don't care. Let me, let me tell you something. Being in the corporate world, there is such a, a, uh, a demand for leadership capabilities. And I'll say this, this probably extends across every line, every boundary. Not just corporations, nonprofits, government organizations, everyone 
wants people with leadership capabilities. I'm highly skeptical. If you're anyone with leadership capabilities that wants to do the work for that company, that they would lock you out of that because of your race or gender. Here's, here's something interesting I thought of. The unemployment issue. Companies will, will tell you honestly how many job openings they have. How do you square so many job openings with so many people unemployed? The, the problem isn't hiring people, it's finding anyone who's qualified. Some, some jobs remain open for months or years because it's just such a hyper-specific person that this needs to be. There just aren't people that meet this qualification, so they leave it open. Th th this idea of this villainous force that's blocking out certain types of people out of certain opportunities, there's probably some of that. I, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that there isn't. There are systemic problems. White guys are not the problem, though. I can say this as a white guy. I'm on the side of systemic change. It just doesn't look like having programs that artificially favor women and non-whites. I also say this as a person who wants equality in those spaces. If there is a situation where you are being locked out of opportunity because you're a woman or because you're not white, that's, that's terrible. By all means, make noise about that. Take that to the courts. Here in California, we have laws against that. Which is what I don't really understand about this. If you feel like in at any phase you have been discriminated against because of your race or because of your gender, you you can you can seek redress of that grievance. That's against the law. What this law is seeking to do is to artificially favor people in the opposite direction. Here's a problem I have with that. Like I was saying earlier about the, the demand for leadership or the demand for skills in general and the wage gap. Think about the wage gap. I don't think that women are any less intelligent. I don't think that they're any less capable of managing large companies. I don't think that they're any less capable, capable of being leaders. You know what I think? I think they don't want to. Just in my little microcosm of what I've observed in my life, women would rather not. Women would prefer other things. Hell, I'm a white guy. I'm, I'm not hot on leadership opportunities either, because they suck. I mean, think of how much of your life you have to give up to have those kinds of opportunities. Think of, better yet, think of the kind of person you have to be 
what you have to turn yourself into, the types of things you would have to value in order to take advantage of those opportunities. And this is the broader problem. Our system doesn't lock out based on race or based on gender. It locks out based on... <laughs> I don't want to be too hard-nosed about this, but you gotta be a little bit of a snake to really make it. You gotta be vicious. You gotta not really care who you hurt as long as you're not breaking the law. That's been my experience. What makes you money, what gains you power, is not necessarily pro-sociality. If you value equality, if you value justice, if you value harmony, that's not... There's no space for that in a market economy. It values winning. It values making money. And sometimes people get treated like crap in the service of that. And some people don't want to do that. The kind of person that, that really makes it there Yeah, visibly, it looks like white guys. But more narrowly, it's a person who has decided that they're okay with, I guess you'd call it collateral damage of the system. I'm not going to say good people. I'm not going to say bad people. I mean, there's probably a share of, of sociopaths at the at the heights of power, but that's how it is. Why do I suspect there aren't a lot of women at the upper echelons? My guess is because they'd rather not be and do whatever it takes to, to do and be that. Non-whites? I don't know. I, I'd look at uh, economic situations, social situations. Even coming from a family that doesn't necessarily value education is a massive roadblock to one going into higher education. And that's not necessarily a color issue. Like, that's... That's... That's a... In my mind, that's a poverty issue. And again, I'm not saying there's no racism. I'm not saying there's not systemic racism. But this doesn't attack the problem. All right, that's my my lesser rant in this space. My my more narrow technical rant would be from a purely practical standpoint. And it's a problem I have with programs like this in general. What's your methodology to measure this problem? How do you measure success? And when do you stop? What, what, what percent of money, of wealth, does a particular group need to control to say, we're done? Close down this program. What does it look like? What is, what is, what is successful implementation of this program look like? 
is there is there a metric at which you could say this program has succeeded to my mind it is just a law you are now allowed to do this so look at the issue of lockdowns with the pandemic so my 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 broader problem with laws like this is that you, you you can pull back the lens look at it at a macro group systemic level and say okay this is how this, we have systemic broad-based problems and this is how we're going to make them fair tighten up the lens look at individual cases it becomes unfair and yeah no i i, I can't anticipate oh poor white people but look at look at the individual cases if there is a situation where all things being equal, well, we have money earmarked for a program for women-run contracts, so we can't hire any more men or men-run companies in this space. Is it fair to that contractor that he was denied that because of his gender, because of his race? People interested in equality can look at that and say, no. The best argument you can make, the way I can steel man this, the best way I can steel man this is to say, yes, there will be micro cases where this is unfair. But at the macro level, this is how we fix the bigger problem. That's the best argument I think you can make for this. Here's where this falls apart. Look at the pandemic look at lockdowns the lockdowns have disproportionately affected small businesses restaurant owners salon owners the type of people who cannot make their work remote it's not fair so many people are going out of business big companies that don't have to directly physically service people they're they're not being hurt by this it's unfair and <laughs> even sadder the small businesses the salons the restaurants that's where a lot of people are getting sick there is a fact of the matter that the people most harmed by this lockdown are the ones where not good or bad because they're doing anything wrong but that's where transmissions are happening so we decide we're going to lock down to fight the pandemic I'm not going to go into the the bigger bigger reasons why but just look at it at that level we're going to lock down until we've gotten to a point where we have this under control there are ways of measuring that whatever you want that to be transmission rates hospital capacity testing vaccine whatever that looks like there's an end point we're not disproportionately harming small businesses arbitrarily it's a specific targeted intervention until we reach such a point that society at large does not have to fear the pandemic and we can measure that can even measure it numerically transmission rates 
uh, infection rates, whatever you want it to be. We can do that. There is a point where we can say lockdowns make no more sense. These are unfair. These hurt people. We've got to suck it up for a little while. Because if we do, at the other side, when this is all over, we'll all be better off. How do you do that with this kind of law? This bright future of... I, I mean, I would imagine that's the goal. I don't know that that's the goal, but I would imagine that this is purposed towards a point where we, we can no longer say that any economic differences are as a result of sexism or racism. But we're not making that narrow. We're not making that limited. We're not saying this is goal-oriented. We're passing, a, I think it's, it's an amendment. It's an amendment to the California Constitution. You can now favor sex, race, national origin, gender, whatever, in-state hiring education decisions and contracting decisions. Full stop. When does that stop? It's not like it's a good thing, is it? Is that what we want our society to permanently look like? Is that even the ultimate cause of these problems that we're seeing? What I don't want is a situation where people can look at something and say, this is unfair and just seethe. That's not a solution. A solution I would like. Here's the root problem. Here's how we measure this. Here's how we address this. Here's how we know when we've achieved success. So my, my heuristic, is this a step in the right direction? Does this make things worse? No. In my mind, this is a step backwards. And, and where differences in economic outcomes lie, I don't think it's, it's caused by or can be addressed by state contract decisions. I want a good society too. I definitely think where things are unfair, you need to push back. I, <laughs> I, I, here's the thing. I, I don't, I am on the side of fairness. But I don't think anything and everything that gets done in the name of fairness and justice and equality is the right thing to do. All right. That's all for that. I've probably pissed off at least one of my, my two listeners. Next proposition. Prop 17. This one's going to be way easier. It's basically, do we allow paroled felons to vote? I, I had to actually, I had to dig into this. Because I never even thought about this. Like, why do we do this in the first place? Why do we take away people's right to vote if they've been convicted of a felony? 
I didn't do that because I disagree. I didn't do that because I agree. It's because I've never asked myself that question. I want to know, why do we do that? What's the point? The argument is, if you've committed a felony, you have demonstrated your lack of judgment. It's for the greater good that we not allow you to influence public policy. To which I say, okay. And that does seem to be the general consensus looking at the arguments for and against this. You pay your debt to society, you get your vote back. We're looking at this sort of edge case of you still have time left on your sentence, but you're on parole. So say you've been sentenced to 10 years, you've served seven, you're on probation for three. You're out and about in society, you gotta do whatever it is you gotta do, you gotta check in with your parole officer, what have you. Do you get to vote? You're still doing your time, so to speak. You haven't completely paid your debt to society. So, should we restore your voting rights in that situation? To me, this is a little bit easier. This is not as heavy of a lift as what we do about racial equality in the state. Here's what I think. If we trust you enough to go back out into society, then I think we should trust you to vote. If you don't trust someone to vote, to make pro-social, good citizenship decisions, then don't let them out. If this is a person, if, if the idea is we don't want you voting because we question your judgment, like that's why we're there in prison, because we don't trust them to act independently out in society. So we let them out. We trust them enough not to get into trouble. We still keep an eye on them. We trust them enough. Let them vote. Violate their parole, throw them back in jail, take away their vote. If you don't think they're trustworthy, if you don't trust them to make good decisions, then don't let them out. Incidentally, this is this is something I've always found strange about sex offender laws. Like we have, I, I will start out making a categorical statement against sex crimes. Categorical. Nothing good about them. All right? We have laws saying if you're convicted of a sex crime, once you go back out into society, you have to register. You have to you have to get your picture taken. You go on a website. For the rest of your life, you are a sex offender. The logic being because you're likely to recommit a crime. Now, I understand why we have that. I understand the point of Megan's law. We let one of these people out. They didn't know that that was that person who had committed sex crimes. So someone ended up getting hurt. But if we're, we as a society are saying, these people are going to commit crimes again, why are we letting them out? What is, what, what, what good is served by letting them out? If we think it's so likely that they're going to commit crimes again. Isn't that the point, or one of the points, of putting people in jail?
so that we're safe from them. So my my questioning of that kind of law isn't anything to do with being soft on sex crimes. It's why is that the approach? If you don't trust people, don't let them out. We know you're going to do this again, but by gosh golly, we just got to let you out of jail. Is that what we're doing? Why? Anyway. No on 16. Um, yes on 17. There you go. Everybody hate me now? All right. Thank you. Tune in for next episode where we talk about Prop 18 and 19. Prop 18. Permitting 17-year-olds who will turn 18 the same election year to vote in the primaries. Ah, Prop 19. Changes certain property tax rules. Ooh. All right. Thanks for hanging in there. Until next time.